Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Please turn in your Bible to the book of Exodus as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments. We started this last week. And uh, we're going to continue it today and go through um, almost to the, the middle of November with this, with this study. We're looking at the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath the chairs that you are sitting on right now. If you don't own a Bible, we have them out at the welcome desk and would love to share one with you and let you take it home and keep it. Exodus chapter 20, it's on page 73 of that church Bible that I was talking about. Exodus 20, I'm going to read the entire Ten Commandments, sometimes known as the Decalogue, uh, sometimes known as the Ten Words. Usually we call them the Ten Commandments. Chapter 20 of Exodus, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. As I said, we are now in this series on the Ten Commandments. And if you weren't here last Sunday, let me just say a few things by way of review to make sure that we're all together on the same page. What I said last week about the Ten Commandments was that these are God's moral law. Sometimes you may have heard the distinction between his civil laws that applied to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and are now no longer applicable except by way of principles. And you may have heard of the ceremonial laws, which have to do with the sacrificial system and the offerings and the temple and the tabernacle rules of the Old Testament, which have been fulfilled in Christ and abrogated. But these are the moral law. And what I said last week is that God's moral law reveal reveals God's holy character. These are a continuing, binding revelation 
of who God is and what he expects of his people. He's our king. And the Ten Commandments are his terms of the covenant that he has made with us. These are not suggestions, like I said last week. These are not words of advice. Instead, the Ten Commandments are commandments. Moses says over in Deuteronomy chapter 5, learn these commandments and be sure to do them. They're not just things to memorize. They're things to do and to put them into practice in our lives. But at the same time, what I said last week is that the Ten Commandments are the loving words of a gracious God who has freed us from our bondage and who has set us free in Christ and has forgiven our sins and become our covenant God. And in the Ten Commandments, what God is saying is, because you have my love, because you are my people, my chosen ones, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to pursue your joy as you pursue obedience to the Ten Commandments. Sometimes people get them all wrong. The Ten Commandments, the law, was not given to show people how to become right with God. Because we'll never obey these things perfectly. They were given to a people who had already been rescued by God, just as you and I have been rescued by God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were given to a chosen people, a redeemed, a loved people. And in the law, God is saying, here is how I want you to live, because I love you. And although we break the Ten Commandments over and over every single day, the good news is that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly for us. He obeyed the law perfectly throughout his lifetime. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our disobedience. And that's why we who have put our faith and trust in Christ can stand before this holy God as our Father as forgiven and justified and holy sons and daughters who in spite of our failures do not have to look at the law and be ashamed of ourselves, but instead we can strive with all our being to be more and more obedient and conformed to the holy will of God. So today we come and begin officially our study of each of the ten. We're going to take each commandment one week after another until we're done. And we're going to look at the first commandment this morning. It's in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I'd like to say two things about that commandment that I hope will bring it to better light for you. First, we're going to talk about the crushing demand of that commandment. And then secondly, the liberating joy of that commandment. So first, let's dive in. The crushing demand of the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What does God mean when he says that to us? What he means is three things. First, God is saying, you must have me to be your God. Second, he's saying, you must have me and me alone to be your God. And third... He's asking even more than that. He's saying, you must love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's all of what is bound up in the first commandment. In other words, this commandment forbids three things. First, it forbids atheism, which is the belief that there is no God. 
Secondly, it forbids all religions based on a God besides the triune God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And third, it forbids idolatry, which is putting anything or anybody alongside God as an object of your ultimate affection and worship. In other words, about that third thing, idolatry, you must repudiate all other pretenders to the throne of your heart besides Yahweh. You must repent of all of your idols, let go of all of your substitute gods, and love God with 100% of your heart. Now do you see why I'm calling that a crushing demand? Aren't you crushed by that? God claims exclusive right to your devotion. Now that's a distasteful message in 21st century America. We live in a relativistic society. We live in a pluralistic society where there are supposedly any number of different and valid paths to God. In our country, it's felt that if you're a sincere Buddhist, you're okay with God. If you're a sincere Hindu, you're okay with God. That's fine. If you're a sincere Christian, well, that's okay too. Just don't push that on anybody else. It's kind of the mentality of our nation. But God says no. No, no, no. God says in commandment number one, let's be clear about this. There is, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Or as Jesus himself put it in John 14, I, he says, am the way, the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. It's an exclusive claim to be the God of truth, the one and only and the living God of heaven and earth. This is an extremely unpopular position, obviously. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm telling you the obvious. It's extremely unpopular to say that, but it's the only option you have if you're to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what an important implication we can draw from this for our for ourselves as a church, right? Because we're called to make disciples of all nations. What urgency this puts upon us to evangelize, to translate the Bible into other languages, to send people into foreign fields where Christ is not known. Because he is the one and only way to God. It's not only a radical message for our own culture, but it was a radical message for the people of Israel too. The people who first heard these words from the lips of Moses. They've been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years, if you remember the history. The Egyptians were what? Polytheists. They believed in hundreds of different gods and goddesses. There was the Nile God, the crocodile God, the sky God, the great sun God, and many, many others. Some of them had names like Osiris and Anubis and Horus and many others. Parents, you know, sacrificed their children to some of these gods. And then there were the human deities too. The Egyptians worshipped the pharaohs. The pharaohs who built these huge monuments to their own name on the backs of Hebrew slaves. 
So Exodus 20, here comes Moses down Mount Sinai with two tablets inscribed by the finger of God himself. And the very first commandment says that there is one God, Yahweh, the one who delivered them from Egypt, the one who had parted the Red Sea, the one who had provided food out of heaven for them. And he was now leading them up through the wilderness into the promised land. This is the one and true God. Be faithful to him, says this first commandment. Be true to him and have nothing to do with the the, uh, false gods of these foreign nations. God expects and he deserves the undivided love and the undivided loyalty of those whom he has redeemed. This first commandment, you see, is really the basis for the entire Decalogue. If you think about it for a little bit, this first commandment, not to have any other gods, is the basis or the foundation for each of the other nine commandments. It says that God must be Lord of everything. Lord of your worship, second commandment. Lord of your speech, third commandment. Lord of your time, fourth commandment. Lord of your family, fifth commandment. Lord of your relationships, sixth commandment. Lord of your sexuality, seventh commandment. Lord of your possessions, Eighth commandment, Lord of your character, ninth commandment, and Lord of your desires, tenth commandment. Break the first commandment, you've broken all ten. (laughs) Again, that's why this is such a crushing law. I'm totally humbled by it, aren't you? Now, a moment ago, I said that The first commandment forbids three different things. Uh, Atheism, it forbids all of the other false religions, and it forbids idolatry. I doubt that we have many atheists here. If you are one, welcome. Continue to seek truth. I don't know that we have any representatives of other religions. If we do, welcome. Continue to seek truth. But what about idolaters? An idolater is someone who says, I love God and I love my money. An idolater is somebody who says, I love Jesus and I love to control other people. An idolater is somebody who says, I want the approval of God and I also want the approval of of human beings. An idolater, in other words, is someone who wants to have it both ways. He or she gives his heart to God and something or someone else. It's both and. But God says, it's either me or your idol, dude. Take your pick. We want both and. God says it's got to be either or. What ask you this question, what do we call it when a married person wants his or her spouse and someone else? Adultery. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. See, our relationship with God, the Bible says, is like a marriage. In fact, in many places in the Bible, God has called our husband. 
We, the church, are the bride of Christ. So our relationship with God is like a marriage. I, I do weddings, of course, since I'm a preacher. And sometimes in the weddings that I do, I use this particular form of a statement of intent or a question of intent. Maybe you've, you remember this. It goes like this. Will you have this man speaking to the bride-to-be? I say, will you have this man to be your husband to live together with him in the covenant of marriage. Will you love him, comfort him, honor and keep him in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live? See, that's what God requires in this first commandment toward him. Not only to believe in him, but to believe only in him and to forsake all others. To forsake all other substitute gods. To turn away from the counterfeits and the pretenders to the thrones of our heart. He will be at the top of the list of gods. No, that's not true. That's usually the way we put it. He's the top of my list. He's my top priority. He's the first in a long line of Allegiances. No, that's not good. He wants to be the list. He wants to be the line. Because he will not have a divided heart in his people. This crushes our desire for autonomy. Ever since Adam decided to put his trust in God and we've been trying to have it both ways too. I look at my own heart. Believe me, as I was working through this stuff this week, I was looking at my own heart and I see it. Often I I want enough of God to feel like I've placated him, but just enough of the world to feel like I have some wiggle room, some independence, some me time. So what's your and? What's your idol? What is it you find you typically turn to and put your trust in when you're sad and depressed? Or when you feel intimidated by people? Or when you've just made a terrible mistake and you feel foolish? What do you do? Where where do you go with that? Or what do you do? Where do you turn? Who do you trust in? What do you trust in when you succeed? When you're feeling like a million bucks? When you feel like you're on top of the world? Is it Jesus? If not, it's an idol. You're an idolater. We often hear about the idols of uh, money and sex and power. I mean, those are sort of the ones that preachers typically talk about. But let's think about some of the idols that we don't hear much about. How about the idol of children? Some of you are parents. Some parents I know never want to ask hard things of their kids. Never want to inconvenience them. Never seem to want to discipline them or get away from them for some time in their married life. They care too much what their kids will think of them. They're living for the approval of their children instead of helping their children live for the approval of God. Children can be an idol. What about the the idol of politics? That's a big one right now, huh? If only... You name it, you fill in the blank. If only he will get elected, then our problems would be over. What about the the idol of ministry? 
I'm looking at people, many of whom are students training for ministry or you're involved full-time in vocational ministry in some organization. Are you using ministry as a way or as a means of controlling other people? A way of getting people to admire you. A way of getting God to like you. Sometimes ministry is used for those purposes. What about the idol of Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest? How much time are you investing in those things? The idol of perfection is a big one in our country. If you watch the Olympics, there was one bronze medal winner who was absolutely devastated because she didn't win a silver or a gold medal. My goodness sakes, she's third in the world. (laughs) But it's not perfect. The idol of leisure time is a huge one too. We've heard those warnings about overwork. We've heard people tell us you've got to have boundaries. You need time for yourself. But look, some of us have flipped to the other side, the other extreme, where we dare not inconvenience ourselves for our friends or for our church or for our community. I must have my time to relax, we say. See, these are examples, and the list could go on, of idols that get on the throne of our heart and take the place of God. What's your hand? I want God and this. What are the things that seem to capture your heart that you cave into again and again? Things that you coddle and protect and justify. Things that demand your time and your talents and your energies. What do you wake up thinking about in the morning? What do you daydream about? Forget the screens. Just think about what I'm talking about right now. What do you daydream about? Where do you find your mind going when you don't have anything else to think about? What makes you happiest? When do you feel best about yourself? When do you feel worst about yourself? See, those are clues. Those are clues that tell you what your and is. Husbands, what are the hobbies and the pursuits that your wife keeps saying that you do to excess? That's a clue about your idol. Wives, what are the habits and the attitudes that your husband keeps saying you do to an extreme? That's a clue to your and. Here's my point. The God who has redeemed you will brook no rivals. He doesn't want to share your heart with anything or anybody. He wants it all. And that's a crushing and devastating demand when you really think about it. But (laughs) the first commandment does more than crush you. It should anyway. It should do more than devastate you and leave you convicted. The Bible never just leaves God's people there. No, instead it liberates you into joy. It does. The first commandment liberates you into joy. Why? Why? Here's the reason. It's because all idols, all false gods will eventually enslave you. They will. They will promise what they cannot deliver. They will demand what you cannot possibly give, but not God. 
not God. He doesn't operate that way. He is the one true and living God of grace who brought you out of your Egypt, out of your land of slavery. He's the fountain of living water. He's the one who redeemed you, the one who forgave you all your sins, the one who adopted you as his son or daughter, the one who justified you in Christ, the one who gives peace to your conscience and joy to your heart. He is not like those false gods. He's the one who says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I've told you this before. It was a number of years ago, so maybe you don't remember it. But I told you that I do watch what not to wear. Now, I'm sorry, guys. I'm guilty as charged. My wife and I share an equal enjoyment of that television show, What Not to Wear. And I remember an episode of What Not to Wear that I'll never forget. It was uh, a woman. This is a show that does a makeover, you know, of different people. And this was a woman who came from a a horse farm kind of culture. And her hair went all the way down to below there. And she was in love with her hair. She thought it was beautiful. Everybody else who saw her thought it needed to go, but she thought her hair was absolutely beautiful. She thought it was her treasure. She had been growing this hair for decades. And you know what Stacy and Clinton and the hairdresser at the time was Nick recommended to her. The hair's got to go. She was devastated by that thought. She cried, she moaned, she groaned, she sat in the chair and finally she worked up enough courage to tell the hairdresser, okay, go ahead, do what you want. And he cut it off, cut it short. And he reached over and handed her the hair. And this is the part I'll never forget. She held that long length of hair in her hand and then she said, with tears rolling down her cheeks, I'm free. I'm free. And I thought that is exactly what idols do to us. We treasure them. We protect them. We coddle them. We think we can't possibly live without them. And then when we relinquish them, we feel the freedom that comes in our relationship with God, because we find him to be all that our hearts desire. See, idols promise happiness, but they only bring you into bondage. What do they do? They demand your time and your energy, your hopes, your dreams, your money, and they always leave you dissatisfied. They always leave you saying, oh, when will this happen again? When will this get better? Maybe next time it will satisfy me. But God alone, God alone truly satisfies. You know, you can read the Bible and read story after story of people of faith who relinquished their idols, who turned from their idols to the living God. You can read about Noah, you know, who built that ark despite what his culture was telling him. You can read about Abraham who offered up his son Isaac in obedience to God. You can read about Jonathan who stood up for David instead of demanding the throne for himself. You read about Hannah dedicating her son to God instead of holding on to him as an idol. You can read about Daniel 
who refused to eat the food and drink of the king and instead chose to be faithful to God. You can read about Paul who went to prison rather than compromise the gospel. But my favorite story when it comes to giving away idols is the story of Jesus in the wilderness. You read that in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was hungry. He'd been in the wilderness, the desert for 40 days and for 40 nights. He was reenacting the disobedient wilderness wandering of the Israelites and proving himself to be faithful and obedient to God where they were disobedient. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And here comes the devil. First, he tempted Jesus with food. And Jesus said, no, no. No, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then Satan offered Jesus fame. He took him to the top of the temple and he said, Jesus, if you just throw yourself off here, the angels will sweep you up in their arms and everybody will see it and admire you and give you a standing ovation. Jesus, have fame. And Jesus said, no, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And then thirdly, Satan offered him fortune. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and he said to Jesus, all this I will give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. Think about it, Jesus. Think about the popularity, the fame, the the applause you would receive from all of the world, the power you would feel. And Jesus said, no, Satan, get away from me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. In other words, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Food, fame, and fortune. These idols that promised life, Jesus repudiated them, turned away from them, and he was fully devoted to God. Friends in Christ, he did that for you. Jesus obeyed God for you. He obeyed the first commandment for you. He fulfilled the law, as we said last week, for you because of your and my disobedience. And because Jesus did that, you have power to repudiate your idols and cling to God alone. Because Jesus gave all of himself to you, you by the Spirit's power and by God's grace can give all of yourself to God. Don't turn back. Don't turn back again to those things that you run to that only bring you into bondage. Instead, run to the cross. When you fail, run to the cross. When you succeed, run to the cross. When you're tempted, run to the cross. Let Jesus satisfy your heart and let him set you free. Back in the mid-1600s, there was this big conference over in Great Britain called the Westminster Assembly. And the men who who attended that assembly came up with several documents, one of which was the Westminster Larger Catechism. And I thought it would be helpful if we end our thoughts today by reading together one of the questions and answers that the Westminster divines wrote to help us to understand the first commandment. It's question number 104. And it's going to be here on the screen. So I'd like to read the question and let's read the answer out loud together. What are the duties required in the first commandment? Together, the duties required in the first commandment are to know and acknowledge God to be the only true God 
and our God and to worship and glorify him accordingly by thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, fearing him, believing him, trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, calling upon him, giving all praise and thanks and yielding all obedience and submission to him with the whole person, being careful in all things to please him and sorrowful when in anything he is offended and walking humbly with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And in some silent time, just think about what we've talked about today. Perhaps admit to God one or more of your idols. Tell God that, yes, you have run away from him and into the arms of some other lover. Ask him for grace to say goodbye to that lover forever. And run into his arms. Father we. Admit to you. That sometimes the. Eyes of other idols. Appeal to us. And we run to them. And we embrace them. And we try to find life in them. But father you've reminded us today. That only you. Meet the need. The deepest need of the human heart. Thank you Jesus that. When you were tempted to give God away, you said no to Satan and yes to the Father. You admit you uh, you adored Him. You did all these things that we just read from the Catechism. And so, thank you that you did that for us on our behalf. And your obedience takes the place of our disobedience. Your faithfulness takes the place of our idolatry. And so, Jesus, thank you that you did that for us, that you went to the cross and paid our, paid our debt. And now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will fill us with the abilities that we need to obey commandment number one, to love the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And thank you, Father, that as we do that, we find joy, we find freedom, We find forgiveness. We find grace. Thank you, Jesus, for securing those things for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-3300.